Two Towns Over is a podcast where we explore the fascinating world of urban legends, conspiracy theories, and campfire tales to find out if there are any truths behind the legends. With dark humor and natural curiosity, we tackle the darkened streets of the town you all know. Welcome to the town with no name. This is Two Towns Over. If we hate it, we just we it, we start it. over. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's so make a whole new podcast. Yeah. We're going to start from scratch. This is the last episode. <laughs> On the left. No. Um. <laughs> no don't do that. <laughs> that was a joke. Don't sue me. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Two Towns Over. I am Don, and I am joined by Ruben. Hi. What's up? It's me. <laughs> and Josh. It's As always. Now. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> It's weird. It's weird now. <laughs> you decided this, motherfucker? I did. This is going to make a great intro. Yeah, no, it's perfect. Okay. It's perfect. Uh, it's so us. So we have pretty much damn near everybody here today. Kat couldn't join us today because we frightened her last time. I was going to say, we made her so uncomfortable with Tansler, and we brought it up again, and now she can't <laughs> look us in the eyes. It's just like I'm afraid they're going to talk about that fucking German again. <laughs> oh. Don has been threatening to do a part three on us. <laughs> He's just gonna April make it is up. coming up. Like. <laughs> to let you know, I've decided there is going to be no part three. I'm just going to go ahead and introduce you guys to Albert Fish. You're just going to go straight to part four of yeah. Carl Tanzler. So, but uh, today... Albert Fish doesn't sound terrifying. <laughs> oh, you poor deluded <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> Albert Fish, you're going to be begging for me to talk about Tanzler once we get done with Albert That's Fish. That's what he sent me in a text last night, too. He was like, <laughs> I'm going to make them beg for Tanzler. Dude, I know the story, and I'm reading the book now. And even the me knowing the story, I'm still going. Oh God! Oh, oh God! Uh-huh. Yeah. Which one is he? He is. I can't like probably one of the single most evil serial yes. killers. One of, of all the time. most deranged serial killers. Probably the most deranged serial killer of all yeah, time. Yeah, but see, it's that's also the difference. Yeah. That's the difference. Is you guys don't understand what makes me uncomfortable, dude. What It'll makes me make you uncomfortable? No, 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 no. What makes me? I mean, maybe. Maybe, but I Tanzler was programmed to make me specifically as uncomfortable <laughs> as I could be because it is still unclear to me to this day whether or not it was definitively proven whether he was a necromancer. Necrophilia. Uh, yeah. So, like, I don't know. But Albert Fish being a serial killer, I know. Everything that a serial killer can do and has done and will do to bodies. So like, oh my god, it's fine. Fuck, oh, I can't wait. This is gonna be fun. You just, oh yeah. Look, man, I watch shit where people make furniture out of bones and musculature and shit. Like, you you play this clip. I will. You play this clip when we cover. <laughs> I'm Albert trying Fish. to. I'm listen, fans, whatever we're calling you, citizens, citizens. I want you all to note this moment because they don't understand that suspense is worse than horror for me. I will be angry at Albert Fish, <laughs> certainly. Slightly uncomfortable, Beyond definitely. Reason. But like, the slow burn is worse every time. You don't know how I'm going to write this story. 
<laughs> it depends on the details, Don. I know how this works. Oh, the <laughs> details are the worst part. That's the thing is he has to get to them sooner if he wants to keep it in the same amount of episodes. So he can't burn it for as long. We'll we'll see when we'll the see. time comes. But we're not talking also, about... Also, we've talked about a wall full of eyeballs. <laughs> like... Yeah, you're getting warmer. Um, all right. So... We're not talking about Albert Fish today. We Coat are racks t- and spines. I mean, we've talked about the nipple belt and That's the true. vagina scarf. Like the vagina scarf. I don't know if it was. I don't think it was a scarf. It was like no, a, it was. Some, a, it was like a light. Yeah, it was no, a fan that's right. Pole. Fan yeah. pole. So, <laughs> the yeah, vagina so scarf is just the sequel to the vagina monologues. Oh my fucking god! <laughs> All right, Don, you might have did something there. <laughs> All right, so but we aren't talking about that today. What we are talking about. Uh, I wanted to give them a break, so we gave them a week off. Um, Were we recording that whole time? Yes. Yep. We are. Uh, I wanted to give them a break from haunted houses and paranormal and stuff, but uh, this has been kind of cooking and simmering. We're actually going to be talking about the Amityville Horror today. That's a movie. It's a movie based on a true story. Uh huh. Based on a book, based on a true story. Supposedly. So it's four separations from true in the movie. No, it's two. Book. So there's the true story. The true story. Then there's the, the book, book. Then the movie. Then there's the movie based on the book. Right. Okay, so that's three. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, and then I, I would give you the fourth layer in that it's, the re- it's like a haunting and possession story. That's so, what I was trying to get yeah. at. Is like there's the <coughs> true yes. story. Right. Then there's the book. Mm-hmm. Then there's the movie. Then way at the beginning again is like what actually whatever actually really happened. actually mm-hmm. scientifically happened. So I don't know if I would say scientifically because yeah, I, no, it's not I quite would just the say right factually because yeah. science is science is just a method of questioning things. Right, that's all it is. So on February fifth, nineteen seventy six, the ten o'clock news on New York's Channel Five announced it was doing a series on people who claim to have extrasensory powers. The program cut to reporter Steve Bauman investigating an alleged haunted house in Amityville, Long Island. Bauman said that on November 13, 1974, the large colonial house at 112 Ocean Avenue had been the scene of a mass murder. There's a place where we always used to go. Avenue by Yellow Card. Uh, Ocean Avenue by Yellow Card. Okay. There's a place called Ocean Avenue. (laughs) Something new. I don't know the words. used to get possessed by you. There it is. 23 That's years. That's the Ghost Strokes' most famous song. Is it's it? Actually no, yeah. song. absolutely not. They Yellow would never Card play stole it from they Yellow would, Card Ghost from Jacksonville. Ghost would never play something so peppy, and you know it. <laughs> yeah, no. 20, okay, so scene of a mass murder. 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. <laughs> had taken a high-powered rifle and methodically shot to death his parents, two brothers, and two sisters. DeFeo had subsequently been sentenced to life in prison. Ocean Avenue, where I like to get shot with my family. Turned it into a fucking My Chemical Romance. There it is. (laughs) Two months ago, the reporter continued, the home was sold for $80,000 to a couple named George and Kathleen Lutz. The Lutzes had been aware of the killings, but not being superstitious, they felt that the house would be perfect for them and their three children. They moved in on December 23rd, 1975. One month later, they had become aware that the place, or shortly thereafter, Bauman said, they had become aware that the place was inhabited by some psychic force and that they feared for their lives. Bauman said they talked of feelings, feeling the presence of some energy inside, some unnatural evil that grew stronger each day. It's a gas leak. 
<laughs> Four it's weeks. Carbon monoxide. Same thing that happened to. No, not Tansler. That was Mercury. Ammons, yeah. Four weeks after they moved in, the Lutzes... What happened to Tansler is unexplainable <laughs> by modern <laughs> or past science. So, four weeks after they moved in, the Lutzes abandoned the house, taking only a few changes of clothes. But before they left, the reporter noted, their predicament had become known in the area. They had consulted the police and a local priest, as well as a psychic research team. Then the house blew up? No. Okay. They reportedly told of strange voices coming from within themselves and a power which lifted Mrs. Lutz off her feet and towards a closet They're behind hallucinating gas leak. T- towards a closet behind which there was a room not shown on any blueprints. The announcer went on to state that William Weber, the attorney representing Ronald DeFeo, had commissioned studies hoping to prove that some force had influenced the behavior of anyone living in the house. He claimed that this force may be of natural origin and felt that it might be the evidence he needed to get his client a retrial. He said he was aware that certain houses could be constructed in a certain way. So hold as... up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Bruh blasted his family and now his lawyer is trying to get him a retrial on some ghost shit? Yes. I just wanted to make sure I was following. Yeah. <laughs> um, he said that he was aware that certain houses could be constructed in a certain way so as to create some sort of electrical current through some rooms based on the physical structure of the house. Scientists say that they are investigating to rule that out. After all scientific theories were researched, Weber planned to move on to supernatural options. Here we go. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. This I was talking about this a couple of episodes ago. This is correct. <laughs> this is what I want. I want you to exhaust the resources at your disposal first. Here are the things we know exactly how to explain. If it's none of those things, I am willing to entertain the idea of maybe a ghost. Stating that he was going to refer the investigation to a group at Duke University who would investigate the possibility of psychic phenomena. Neither of you? Duke Duke University? No, I was doing no? the phenomena. Oh. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. Do, 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 do. Thank you. <laughs> Two weeks after the broadcast, George and Kathy Lutz held a press conference in William Weber's office. The lawyer had met the family three weeks earlier through mutual friends. George Lutz stated that he would not spend another night in the house, but that he was also not planning to sell the house at that time either. He was also awaiting the results of some tests to be conducted by parapsychologists and other quote-unquote sensitive professional researchers of occult phenomena. I feel like the first thing that needs to happen when you think you have like something like a, a, a severe haunting in a house mm-hmm. is you need to have somebody who is naturally skeptical. An extensive medical checkup? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah, that, that's true. But before before you go to like... And a psychological evaluation. Of everybody in the house. Yeah. yeah. Right. But you need to have somebody who is a severe skeptic who does not know that there's supposedly a haunting there. Right. Stay for like a week. Yeah, absolutely. That's wa- actually a wa- good... Watch when nothing happens to that person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great point, Josh. Thank you. This is what I mean when I say exhaust the options. Because you exhaust the options by that step goddamn one. Well, step one is actually if you guys, if you're seeing something, if multiple people in the house are seeing things, for real, I cannot stress how important it is to check for a gas leak or something yes. like to that effect. 
that sh- mold, that shit is important because that is a health concern. You might die. For real, get that checked first. Right. Secondly, that exact thing. Yeah. Invite somebody over for a week and be don't tell them shit about a ghost. Don't say nothing about a ghost. Make it the me friend, the one who's like, fucking ghosts are not real. Right. And then if they get possessed as well, then after you definitely a week or a, a month or whatever, then I'm willing to, again, entertain <laughs> the idea of possibly a ghost. So 200 of them. Perhaps even 200. <laughs> At that point in time, the Lutzes cut off all communication with the media, feeling that too much was being overstated and exaggerated. Which is probably true. You know, it's, guaranteed. You know, it's severe over exaggeration when the family who fully believes that there's a ghost in the house says that the media is exaggerating. Yes, they're like, we called the pastor over so we could have dinner and a prayer. Like, cool right. it. <laughs> so the story of the Amityville Horror is a fascinating case when it comes to classic haunted house stories. For starters, there's the grisly murder of the six members of the DeFeo family at the hands of Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. Then. One year later, there's the horrifying story of the Lutz family that moved into the house only to move out 28 days later due to the demonic hauntings. How many days? 28. How, how many? 28 days later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, due to the demonic hauntings that took place. Over, 28 over two dream drop seconds. <laughs> also, there is the never-ending cinematic offerings that have been made about the Amityville hauntings. Never-ending cinematic offerings is yes. a great way to have phrased that because... Yeah, to people date, been raking in millions. That is a punk this. band from the nineties. Never into <laughs> cinematic offerings. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's they're, a, it's, they're like a Fallout Boy um, cover band. I was gonna say they're from the era where people were calling themselves punk, but punk had yeah. been dead for like five years. Yeah. To date, there are ten Amityville movies in the original Amityville collection. The movies ten. Oh, it gets better. The movies, these are the 10 that are in the actual chronological, canonical timeline. Oh, boy. Which include a mix of theatrically released films, TV movies, and directed video sequels are as follows. The original Amityville Horror, 1979. Remind me, okay, before we get into the timeline of the movies real quick, one of y'all remind me, because I'm picturing something in my head that I think is wrong. Is Amityville a found footage movie? No. 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 What's the one about the people in the woods? That's Blair, the Blair Witch. Witch. Okay, which one is the Amityville one? Amityville Horror is the haunted house. The, the the windows look like eyes. Like the house is alive one? No. Hold on, I'll show you a picture. As soon as you see the picture, you'll be like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, Doesn't yeah. the house like disappear at the end or no, something? No, that's Poltergeist. Oh yeah, I'm thinking Poltergeist. Hold on. Thank God we have Don. I know. <laughs> I'm the Dan O'Brien of this Because like I have heard of these movies, and I've, I don't watch them usually, but like I can... Like, I've watched enough shit about them. People yeah. reference them in other things, so I'm just trying to get a good picture. I always mix up Amityville and Poltergeist. Poltergeist was the one that I saw when I was way too young, and it freaked me out for a while. That's the house. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. I have actually seen that movie, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. So, you have the Amityville Horror from 1979, Amityville 2, The Possession in 82, mm-hmm. Amityville 3D in 83. Oh, great. Okay. Amityville 4. So we went from horrors to possessions to 3D. Yeah. Yep. What year did these come out? Do you have that? Yeah, I've been reading them off. I haven't. I'm sorry. Amityville Horror came out in 79. 79. Amityville 2 came out in 82. Uh 3 came out in 83. 3D came out in 83? 3D came out in 83. That's early. 
Early, yeah. yeah, that was still the red and blue. That's glasses. early. Yeah, yeah. Amityville Four: The Evil Escapes came oh, out boy. in '89. Cool. Oh, the, they get they gave it a few years between mm-hmm. those. The Amityville Curse came out in '90. Amityville: It's About Time in '92. <laughs> That's Amityville, a rom com. <laughs> Amity- he wait wait. <laughs> she just moved into town. She's haunted by the ghost of her ex boyfriend. <laughs> He's a medium whose only desire is to rid the world of pesky ghosts. <laughs> this summer. <laughs> there it is. Amityville. This Halloween. <laughs> Amityville. It's about time. Make it a slice of life manga. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. 90, it's a fruits basket. 93 oh brought Amityville a new generation. 96 brought Amityville Dollhouse. Number or, that's a Chucky one. That's a they're yeah. trying to get off of a Chucky one. Two thousand five brought the Amityville Horror remake starring Ryan Reynolds. Oh boy! And two thousand not know Ryan Reynolds. I yeah, actually didn't know either. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm gonna watch what it year? Old Ryan Reynolds is so that's bad, but near so good. Green Lantern. Yeah. So yes, we can excuse it. And yeah. two and two thousand seventeen <laughs> brought Amityville: The Awakening. Now, those ten films listed. Are all part of the original Amityville series. That's just 2007, you said. 17 was the last. 17, one. okay. Yeah. Uh, however, in addition to oh, the it's original. It's about time for another one, actually. I was just yeah. going to say, it's been like, well, what, three, four no, years? No, give it time. It's five, five. Yeah. Jesus Christ. In addition to the original series, there are a number of unconnected movies which also carry the Amityville brand name. Nice. These films are not part of the original series. Are we in Saw territory now? We're, we're beyond Saw. Uh, some are Halloween ins- is the one I'm yeah. thinking of. Some yes. are inspired by the 77 book, The Amityville Horror, but they all tell different stories. Now, before yes. I read this list, yes. as I go through this list... We were talking about four levels earlier, Josh. <laughs> yes. We're more like a 30 in by yeah. now, for so, sure. There is going to be one title, one movie title that I'm going to read out that you guys are going to want me to stop I'm and ready. explain. Great. I'm going to... Let me finish the list. I'll try. And I will give you the plot synopsis of that movie. I will I will make a noise. Don't <laughs> it's fine. 2011 brought the Amityville Haunting. 2013 Amityville Asylum. 15 Amityville Death House. 2015 again Amityville Playhouse, also known as the Amityville Theater. Mm-hmm. 2016 brought Amityville Vanishing Point, Amityville Legacy, Amityville Terror, Amityville No Escape. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> 2017 brought Amityville Evil Never Dies. He just said three anime titles in a <laughs> row. Yeah. In a row, he said those. Oh, wow. Uh, Evil Never Dies was also called, also known as Amityville Clown House. Uh, 2017 also brought Amityville Exorcism Against the Night, also known as Amityville Prison. Uh, 2018 brought Amityville Mount Misery Road in the Amityville Murders. 2020 brought Amityville Island and Amityville Vibrator. 2020. <laughs> we reached it. Keep going. We got us. We said. One of these things is not said, like the other. We said. 2020 also brought Witches of Amityville Academy, Amityville Harvest, the Amityville Poltergeist, and 2021 brought Amityville Vampire, the Amityville Moon, and Amityville Cop. Okay, so great. Now that we're done, let's go back. First of all, Amityville, what did you say? Legacy, Vengeance, and what else? Uh, Legacy, hold on. 
Legacy, Terror, and No Escape. No, no, no. It was Evil was, Never Dies. Do you remember there was when it was like three anime? Titles yeah, it was. In a row. It was Legacy. I think it was the ones before Legacy. Maybe what were uh, what were the ones around that? Legacy was Asylum, Death House, Playhouse, Vanishing Point, and Haunting. There it was. It was Va- like Vanishing Point, Vanishing Point, Legacy, and Death House are yeah. all. <laughs> Amazing anime titles. So, without me saying, without you guys saying anything, written and directed and produced by Nathan Rumler, Amityville Vibrator tells the cautionary tale of Kathy, who purchases a vibrator from a yard sale, only to discover. (laughs) 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 Only to discover that it has ancient powers. While she and her friend Roxy are in danger of becoming Satan's sex slaves, the more they use it, two easily distracted researchers are on the hunt for the demonic dildo. (laughs) (laughs) This is the plot of fucking Pick of Destiny. Oh, this, is the, this is the plot of Pick of Destiny. I've got to see the promotional is. picture They for don't this. know that Kathy already has the satanic sex toy in her possession, and they take some shrooms to help them figure out what to do next. <laughs> first, and first, 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 <laughs> absolutely first, and foremost, do not, under any circumstances... Buy a vibrator from a yard sale <laughs> that you intend to use as a vibrator. Under any circumstances, 0% of the time, 0% do you do that. Second oh, is, of all, is this actually you skipped porn? over the part where you said they were using the vibrator. <laughs> and like, what? <laughs> if my friend was like, hey... I got a vibrator with ancient demon powers. Do you want to use it with me? No. <laughs> um the uh the tagline for this movie by the way. Oh, please. Daddy, give it to me. <laughs> for God's sake, get off. <laughs> Cuz the tagline of the original oh, movie God. was for God's sake, get out. Oh yeah. Is that a that's I, a porn parody? I don't for know, sure, right? I don't know. It, I'm not certain. Um Based on some of the pictures, it looks like it yes, would be. it absolutely looks like it is, uh-huh. but it has an IMDb. So, oh, porns have ID- IMDb. Do they really? Yes. L- yeah, it's one of my favorite pastimes <laughs> is to look up a porn <laughs> star's IMDb because it's set up exactly like, say, Ryan Reynolds's one because he was in the episode earlier, or like uh, Morgan Freeman, like. And it look it it's wild because it always is like um uh like it'll be like you know the ones what are the backdoor babes two yeah like yeah. backdoor babes two uh, <laughs> Dragon Ball Z parody and it's like Dragon my balls and it's like she'll have a name and then in like the next ten it'll just be appearing as herself appearing as herself <laughs> yeah. appearing as herself it's fucking wild. Yo, this actually has a 5.9 on IMDb. No way! <laughs> it's only an hour and three minutes. That's porn. Yeah. That's porn. I don't care what you say but to most, me next. Well, 
back when I used to, long ago, like a porn movie, like actual unedited sex scenes are usually like almost 30 minutes. You're saying there's only like two scenes in the whole movie? You still got to get Who the Who said whole... it was unedited? That's what I'm saying. Oh, I see what you're saying. No. Also, I just want to make it clear that we are sex positive on this show. You do what the fuck you want to do with your body. I just find amusement in IMDb pages featuring porn stars because they are very funny to me. Let it be known that Sadie Tate had a role in this movie. I don't know who that is, by the way. I just want her name said out loud for this role because she played the voice of the vibrator. Oh, my God. (laughs) Did he just say... (laughs) She's known for her other work in movies such as Space Babes from Outer Space. (laughs) If it ain't porn, it's definitely like Cinemax Late Night. It has to be. Or uh, Thrust. Oh. Yeah, I'm not good. If you want to Google Sadie Tate, you can. I'm not going to because I'm married. So, Feaster Sunday. Feaster Sunday? Easter Sunday. Oh my God. (laughs) We're almost halfway into this story and I haven't even gotten off the first page yet. Oh, that's porn. Come on. (laughs) Come on. She's got it in her mouth. That's porn. Wait, hold on. One more. One more. Because in 2016, Sadie Tate was also in Nutsack Fuck Part off. 1. <laughs> okay, Lucifer's the cast, Cosmonaut. The cast, the cast, the cast <laughs> list on Google does not have pictures by most of these people's names. Yeah, I know. So here we go. We've got Sadie Tate, clearly a porn star. <laughs> Corella Waring. Iffy. However, Mallory Maneater. Oh, okay. Uh, Brian Papandrea. I don't know who the fuck none of these people are. And there's only like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people in the whole movie. That's porn. Uh, so this article calls it uh, shot on video exploitation flick, and it lists it as a comedy. So it is self aware, and I don't think it's like. It might be softcore porn, but but it's porn. It's definitely porn. All right, so we're going to reel this back in, and we're going to get back to the... That took too long, and we're sorry. I'm not. That was so good. I'm not sorry, actually. You can't can't tell me that there was a movie called Amityville Vibrator that... (laughs) He expected me not to say shit to him about that. (laughs) I said just wait till I finish the list. I tried. He he specifically wrote in a whole segment about it, so... (laughs) No! uh... No, I didn't write that. I I wrote the list. I... Because when I was reading the list, my brain, like, it was like a brick wall. You like, really glossed over that? Amityville vibrator. They were, what? <laughs> Hold on. That is a, that, that is a wild <laughs> left turn. Yeah. What a what gift. That Thank was. you. Yeah, absolutely. So all of those movies, except for one, uh, have made sure that the Amityville <laughs> story and the how. Ha- uh, the story of the house. I don't agree with that assessment. I think it's all of those. I think only one of those movies captured the true, the true uh, horror. (laughs) Now the final element to the story is the house itself. The house that sits on the address that used to be 112 ocean Avenue is rivaled only by the psycho house as the quintessential haunted house. What's the psycho house. Is that another movie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Never mind. It's cool. It's cool. 
Um, I just don't know. I don't know. One needs only hear the words Amityville Horror, and they immediately picture the three-story house with its gabled roof and its quarter-moon-shaped windows staring at them like the eyes of a living entity. It's the blue one with the very 90s couple out front. 70s. 70s. Yeah, denim. Lots of denim is what yeah, I'm trying to so say. so much denim. But denim that... came back in the 90s, though. So. Yeah. So is that all that makes the story so enduring? Is the tale of spirits unique in its format, or is there something deeper? No and no. What makes people still believe that this house is evil, despite the fact that since the Lutzes have moved out, there has been not one report of supernatural activity? Is the Hysteria. Amity- is the Amityville house truly haunted, or is it just the recipient of Afterlife's greatest PR man? Uh, it's the second one. Well, to suss this out, we need to start... And also, beginning. maybe not even the greatest PR man, because, like... Um, it's an easy story to spin. I'm sorry to all of my religious listeners, but religion is basically a ghost story with the greatest PR man. Mm. Yeah. Literally, if you think about most religions, like resurrection is a ghost story. That shit happens in so many religions. A lot. In, in a various ways, like reincarnation. You know, in Christianity, you've got Jesus' resurrection. You have it in a lot of the, the Egyptian pantheon. A lot of the Egyptian and Greek pantheon involves yeah. resurrection and traveling to the land of the dead and shit. Like, it's it's old as time, literally. Like, it's one of those things, which we've mentioned before. Yeah. Well, to suss that out, we need to start at the beginning. Uh, and that begins with the DeFeo family. Way back in ancient Sumer... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ronald DeFeo Sr., also known as Big Ronnie, was born on November 16, 1930. <laughs> <laughs> His wife, Louise, was born on November 3, 1991. Now, Louise's parents did not like Big Ronnie and cut all ties with the couple until Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. was born on September 26, 1951. Butch had a rough life. Because he was the firstborn and a boy, Big Ronnie expected more from him and was not known for holding back when it came to punishment. Luis's brother, Michael Briganti Jr., would later testify at the murder trial that he remembered a time when Butch was two years old. The family had been in the basement watching television when Butch, quote-unquote, did something. All of a sudden, Big Ronnie stood up and pushed the child into a wall. Now, Butch was overweight as a child, and this continued until his teen years when he began taking amphetamines. This led other kids to call him names such as the Blob, Bucky Beaver, and Pork Chop. Ooh. Kids are fucking cruel. Mm-hmm. Big guys unite. We know what that's like. So the focus on Butch doesn't was... excuse killing your whole family. Just to make that clear. Yeah. So the focus on Butch would lessen on July 29th, nineteen fifty-six, when the defa- maybe your fucked up dad. Maybe I might forgive that if your yeah. dad is going to abuse you like that at two. Yeah, maybe he maybe he deserved it. But I like, I typically excuse that kind of thing. That I will, you know, you're trying to get away from an abuser. You're a kid. I get it. Yeah, but again, nah, <laughs> nah. So the focus on Butch would lessen on July 29, 1956, when the DeFeos gave birth to a daughter named Dawn. Ah, shit. Then in August of '61, another daughter, Allison, was born, followed by Mark in '62. After the birth of Mark, Luis left Big Mark Ron- and who? I said Mark in, in 62. 62. Sorry. Uh, after the birth of Mark, Louise left Big Ronnie for a short time. The reason why remains unknown. Uh, Probably because he's an abusive prick. So in order to win Louise back, 
Big Ronnie co-wrote a song called The Real Thing, and in 1963, jazz great Joe Williams recorded it for his album titled One is a Lonesome Number. No. Yes. Wild. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. I'm not. Oh. I know that song. Okay. That's wild. Finally, in 1965, the last of the DeFeo children was born, and Big Ronnie got his third son in John DeFeo. By this time, the family had moved from their apartment in Brooklyn to the house on 112 Ocean Avenue in the exclusive Long Island community of Amityville. John DeFeo sounds like a newscaster. Yeah. He does, or a weatherman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm John DeFeo, and this is the weather. Like, I am meteorologist John DeFeo, and we're going to be one. telling you how the weather is going to look this week. I'm John DeFeo, and this has been the traffic report. In the early evening hours of November 13th, 1974, the patrons of Henry's Bar a tavern located on the corner of Merrick Road and Ocean Avenue in Amityville. The Patrons of Henry's Bar is a folk band. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, it is. Uh, and then a they, good one, they too. broke up and rejoined in like... And they made better music somehow? Yeah, it was folk <laughs> punk now. Yeah. yeah. On some Mumford & Sons type shit. <laughs> That's not folk punk. I like Mumford & Sons, though. They're, I know, I, I like Mumford & Sons. They're kind of funk, the folk pop. Yeah. Not yeah, necessarily yeah, yeah. Funk, folk pop. Punk. Yeah, Jesus no, folk, folk punk bands all sound like they're made up entirely of cartoon rats with makeshift instruments. They do kind of. They do kind of. Listen, listen to Days and Days and tell me that they don't sound like a band of cartoon rats. So um, so they were chatted while... Sorry, that's a very specific sound, <laughs> is all I wanted to say. They really chatted is. while sipping their beers and cocktails. At 6.30 p.m., Ronald DeFeo Jr. opened the door to the bar and yelled, You gotta help me. I think my mother and father are shot. One of the patrons seated at the bar was Robert Bobby Kelsky, an out-of-work brick mason and Butch's best friend. Bobby raced to his friend who had fallen to his knees. Crying Bobby is how old at this point? Uh, it doesn't say. Like a teen? No. It'd be If he was Butch's best friend, he'd be the same age as Butch. Which but that's what I was asking. Butch is how old? Uh... 74, he was born in 50... Hold on. So he's in his 20s, probably. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He was born in 51 to 74, so he's 23. So he's 23. Okay. 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 So uh, Bobby raced to his friend who had fallen to his knees. Crying hysterically, Butch again pleaded for help. Butch got to his feet and called for others at the bar to follow Bobby and him back to the house. Answering Butch's call was John Altieri, Joey Yezwite, Al Sexton, and William... S- Oh, God. Scordamaglia. Maglia. Scordamaglia. Scordamaglia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Owner of Henry's Bar. Typical last name. Heard it. Yeah. Absolutely normal. The six men piled into Butch's car. Butch climbed in the back while Bobby took the wheel. The DeFeo residence was a large, rambling, three-story Dutch colonial home built in 1925. Because the property was narrow and long, the dark, shingled house sat sideways with the front door facing the elongated driveway. At the end of the DeFeo's 237-foot-long lot sat their boathouse right at the edge of the Amityville Creek. But the most distinguishable characteristic of 112 Ocean Avenue was this dramatic front yard. Overlooking the street were two quarter moon windows that looked like eyes, a feature common in Dutch colonial homes. And on the front lawn stood a lamppost with a sign attached that read, High Hopes. Oh. High Hopes. <laughs> Bobby pulled the car to a quick Can't halt. Can't you just imagine that slowed down and reverbed for the for the horror version, like the uh, Bioshock version of High Hopes. Uh, yeah. Um, at Bobby pulled the car to a quick halt and climbed out. As he climbed up the front porch steps, one of the other men cautioned, be careful, somebody might be in there. 
I don't care, Bobby yelled as he opened and unlocked the door to the DeFeo home. With Bobby Kelsky in the lead, the five men hurried up the stairs to the second floor. Bobby, a regular visitor to the DeFeo household, knew exactly where the master bedroom was located. As they reached the second floor, they were overwhelmed with the stench of death. There's that smell again. Yeah, it's it's a very distinct smell. If you've ever had an animal stuck in your walls, you know what it smells I like. I actually cleaned up after a dead body once that oh, had been dead for weeks. and nobody God. Knew. Oh, God, yes. It's one of the reasons I left that job. He literally died sitting on a sofa, and all of his body fluids just basically leaked down his leg. I was going to say, decomposition yeah. oh, fluids, God, man. Yes. Yep. So, uh, gross. And yes, there is a stench of death. Quite bad. Yeah. So Bobby stepped in the, at the doorway to the master bedroom and hit the light switch. Before him lay Butch's parents. A hole in the center of DeFeo Sr.'s bare back was the first indication that the couple was not sleeping. Dried blood had trickled out of the wound, disappearing beneath the obese man's blue boxer shorts. In contrast, Luis DeFeo's wounds were not clearly ascertainable because her body was buried beneath an orange blanket as if she were protecting herself against the evening chill. Seeing that Bobby was ready to pass out, the other men led him downstairs, past the life-size portraits of family members that hung on the staircase wall. John Altieri remained on the second floor and checked out Bobby the Bobby is Butch's friend. Yes. Okay. Um, checked out the northwest bedroom, northeast bedroom. Clipper ships, cannons, and eagles dotted the room's wallpaper. On the dresser to the left of the door lay several statues and figurines that one would expect to find in a devout Catholic home. Strewn across the floor were athletic shoes and toys, signaling that the bedroom belonged to a boy. Two boys, to be exact. On opposite sides of the room lay the bodies of two young boys, face down like their parents. In the bed on the left lay the body of John DeFeo, nine. Altieri could not pinpoint the bullet hole in John's back since the Nick's sweatshirt he was wearing was covered in blood. In the other bed lay John's brother, Mark DeFeo. Next to Mark's bed was a pair of crutches and a plain gray wheelchair. The boy had recently suffered a football injury and needed their assistance to get around. At the foot of his bed lay a crumpled up green and yellow bedspread and an orange blanket. This time, Altieri could make out the wound, a single bullet hole to the center of the boy's back. Seeing more than he had wanted, Altieri left the room and rejoined the others on the ground floor. There, Joe Yeswoit called 911, giving details to an emergency operator. So after a lengthy trial that concluded right before Thanksgiving, Butch DeFeo was found guilty of killing his father, mother, two brothers, and two sisters. My God. On December 4th, 1975, Justice Thomas Stark said that the crimes were the most heinous and abhorrent and sentenced Butch to 25 years to life. <clears throat> no other suspect was ever prosecuted for the crime. Officially, Butch DeFeo acted alone in the grisly crime. Unofficially, the evidence pointed to a conspiracy. I'm still not 100% sure on him killing the rest of his family. I'm willing to believe the dad. Yeah. there's Yeah, yeah that's the biggest question is why didn't anybody else wake up? That's what I was yeah. thinking the whole time. They're all in bed with a single bullet wound. Yeah. And guns are loud. Yeah. Even with the fucking quote-unquote silencer or suppressor on it. Yeah. That shit is loud. Right. Like... Like, like wake up, you're hearing for a day loud. Like, wake up definitely if, if your husband is shot next to you loud. Yes. The other thing that, that is, and I may mention it further, I can't remember, that kind of was it, questionable, is that everybody was on their stomachs. 
That's what yeah. I'm thinking too. Is like what? There's yeah. got to be. So they were either positioned that way. Something isn't adding up. That's what I'm saying. So well, the only one that was covered up was the mother. Right. Nobody yeah. ran. Because yeah. if you had to, like, that's so weird. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to get into some theories. Okay. So Herman Race, a former New York supervi- <clears throat> New York City supervising police detective, was hired by Michael Brigante Sr., that's Luis's father, to investigate the murders. Brigante had testified at trial that he did not feel that his grandson acted alone in the commission of the crime. Since Brigante did not feel that his grandson had done all that he was accused of, he wanted Race, a licensed investigator, and friend, either to prove or disprove the case against Butch. Race eventually uncovered evidence that showed that there were multiple gunmen and at least two guns used during the commission of the crime. During a private court hearing and at trial, Race's findings were corroborated by the prosecutor and the medical examiner, who was astonished that one man sat accused of being the sole gunman. Yeah, it just doesn't... It fully cannot add up. Yeah. So during a November 30th... Like we talked about, um, I think, last episode or episode before that sometime. Oh, excuse me. About how kids can sleep through a lot. Right. We were talking about physical, like... Physical hand-to-hand altercation. Hand altercations. Yes. Yeah. Maybe muffled screaming. Right. A gunshot Gunshots? will wake up literally anyone. Right. Yeah. If you can hear, that shit will wake you up because it will hurt you. Right. It will make you experience pain, which is the quickest way to wake a person up. Does not matter how big the house is That's what or I'm how saying. many walls are between you and Especially the Especially in the 70s with a house built in the 20s. Yeah. Yeah. You know, You're going to hear it. wasn't great. Uh, yeah. So um, during a night, November 30th, 2000 meeting with Rick Osuna, author of The Night the DeFeos Died, Butch DeFeo confessed that along with his sister Dawn DeFeo, he and one of his friends actually committed the murders out of desperation. What? This fact was confirmed by a letter written by Butch DeFeo. In his own handwriting, Butch wrote, it was cold-blooded murder, period. No ghosts, no demons, just three people in which I was one. The DeFeo household had been in a frenzied state during the evening of November 12, 1974. Butch's father, according to Butch... Did you just say that his sister and one of their friends did yes. the murders? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that's what he said. Okay. Yeah. So, according to uh, Butch's father, according to Butch, routinely abused his family. After that evening's tirade had settled down, Butch, his 18-year-old sister Dawn, and two of Butch's friends proceeded to get high in the basement. And since that her father... on what? Probably pot. It's the 70s. Mm, then they weren't even actually getting high on weed <laughs> in the 70s. I was going to say, they had a cigarette in the basement. <laughs> yeah, you're getting a cool buzz. And since that her you ever fa- smoke cloves, <laughs> that's what they were doing. And since that her father was preventing her from joining her boyfriend in Florida and worn out from the years of physical abuse, Don DeFeo approached her older brother about killing their parents. Butch initially refused. After a culmination of drugs, alcohol, and desperation over the next few hours, okay, so it's probably more than just pot, Butch finally gave in to Don's ghoulish request. I'm thinking acid, maybe. Yeah. Employing his Ooh, two friends. Yeah. That would get, the, that would probably get you talking. I was but, gonna say acid and alcohol is not a good mix. Yeah. It sounds like that's probably where they're at. And alcohol just does nothing to me if I've taken acid. Well, I don't. But have you taken seventies acid? I've I've had 
like real legitimate acid before, yeah. Okay. Have you drank on it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're drinking. I don't, I'm asking legit because like, I've never done acid. Straight just beer all night long. Horrible for our bodies. That's felt what awful. I'm saying. It's like it might not have felt like it did anything to your high, but like maybe it did fuck with them somehow. I guess, but I don't know. I I really don't like. But it sounds like we're in the mid seventies now, right? Seventy four. Seventy four yeah. seems like acid. If you're saying drugs, and not marijuana, yeah. like it sounds like they're maybe probably quaaludes. Probably smoking weed, oh, having some true. acid, maybe doing some quaaludes, something like that, depending on where you know. So, employing his two friends, Butch and Don left the safety of the family's basement and headed for their parents' bedroom on the second floor. It was around 1 a.m. on November 13th, 1974. And if you're like, why would uh, why would these young people be doing that? Well, their dad was abusive to them since they were born, so. Right. So, uh, while one friend was a lookout, waited as a lookout, the other, with his Colt Python, followed Butch, who had armed himself with a 35 Marlin rifle. Uh, a votive candle burning on the father's dresser, the second floor bathroom light, and a military-style flashlight uh, that was later recovered by the police on the brown recliner in the hallway outside the master bedroom was their only light sources. The parents were attacked while they lay in bed. Mr. DeFeo, however, was able to struggle to his feet to attempt a counterattack on his assassins. A second bullet, bullet struck him dead before he was able to reach his target. Luis DeFeo lay in, laid in bed, moaning for help, as she slowly bled to death. A second bullet would silence the woman for good. I was going to say, the fact that they were in their backs. That's what I was going to say. Them, like, that's like, not an instant death. Not unless you hit the spine. Yeah. Which you would have to know exactly where to shoot. Which I think means we're about to hear about how he probably watched his own siblings bleed out. Well, although the original plan called for the younger children to be taken to the grandparents' house in Brooklyn, Dawn, according to Butch, killed them to eliminate the children as witnesses and potential threats. Jesus. Butch according claimed, to Butch is a really bad, like darker offshoot of According to Tansler, <laughs> which is yeah. weird because like they according tried to, to do a Tansler is wildly dark, <laughs> but it's that funny kind of dark. It, yeah, it's it's yeah. like black comedy. Black comedy. Yeah, this is just black. Um, that's racist. That's not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, potential threats. Butch claimed he was not in the house at the time of the children's murders. But giving pursuit to one of his friends who had fled the scene in order to lure him back to assist with the cleanup. Even while feigning insanity at trial, Butch DeFeo never admitted to shooting the children. Now, one can only imagine the horror on Mark's and John's faces when their big sister entered their room with a rifle. Dawn callously ordered the boys to face down. A clue that the DeFeos were awake at the time of the murders rested in the final position of Mark DeFeo's body. I'm sorry. That was a mix-up sentence. Uh, were they, were they awake at the time of the murders? Yeah, they're saying that the position of the bodies after suggested yeah. that they were woken up. Right. Yeah. Because, Which is what I was kind of getting at earlier, where it's like, oh, if they didn't run, that means they were like, they probably woke up, didn't know what was happening, and then their sister, yeah. according to Butch, their sister comes in and... Tells them to lay face down on the bed. With a probably a cold and drug-addled look in her eyes. Right. right. Like, that's... Oof. So I'm going to reread that sentence because it wasn't a run-on sentence. I was... I just... A clue that the DeFeos were awake at the time of the murders rested in the final position of Mark DeFeo's body. 
Because Mark had suffered a debilitating injury from football, he was forced to sleep on his back. Yet he was shot face down in bed. The prosecutor confirmed this fact at the DeFeo trial. The next room Dawn entered was Allison's. Standing at the doorway, Dawn raised the rifle, taking aim as Allison slightly raised her head before looking into the muzzle flash. Death was instantaneous as the bullet impacted Allison's left cheek and exited her right ear. Good God. Allison's wounds were meant to disfigure the beautiful girl. Butch, upon his return and enraged at the senseless murder, confronted Dawn DeFeo in her third fuller bedroom. After briefly wrestling for the gun, Butch got the upper hand and slammed Dawn against the bed, knocking her out. As she lay unconscious on her bed, Butch placed the back of the rifle into Dawn's head, or to Dawn's head, and fired. The murderous spree had finally ended, but the cleanup had just begun. Now, today, Butch DeFeo... Is that the official... That's what we all think happened and now, in that's the future? According, yeah, according to Butch DeFeo, which there's really not been any more investigation because as far as the okay. law was concerned... I'm just saying that yeah. we're assuming that this is what happened. Yeah. So, I mean, that sounds... It's, the, the only thing that's a little bit plausible. shaky on that is him knocking her against the bed and knocking her out. Well, if he hit, if she hits the bedpost... If she hits the bedpost with the back of her head, yeah, she probably gets knocked out if, if but... she hits the bedpost with her chin it's like right here it's just it's incredibly difficult to knock somebody out it with a single is. hit it's not hard to daze them no for sure so i'm i'm thinking probably in the wrestling match she got dazed fell onto the bed and he shot her he specifically said while she was unconscious, yeah. though, well, is what makes me think that he may not have been entirely truthful. Yeah. So, um... Oh, he's probably not entirely truthful, for no, sure. But no, no, like, yeah. I think specifically... That's, that's the like, only part that sound, that specifically even, stood out to me. Even as, as a, even as the perpetrator of the crime, trauma still affects your brain and your memory. Oh, definitely. So I'm. that's what I'm saying. I think probably it's closer to... She got dazed, fell in the bed. He probably pistol whipped her unconscious and then shot her. Yeah. yeah. So today, Butch <clears throat> or I guess rifle butted her unconscious yeah. and then shot her. I don't know. So today, Butch DeFeo has once again decided to blame the entire crime on his sister, even though the evidence clearly supports Butch's involvement. Nevertheless, evidence also supports the claims that more than one gun and killer were involved in the DeFeo murders. Butch has conveniently forgotten writing an admission to which he admitted being part of a conspiracy. Although several attempts were made by Rick Osuna, who was the author of the book. Is that why you said in his handwriting earlier? Yes. Uh, author of The Day the DeFeos Died, to contact one of the accomplices named by Butch DeFeo, rumor had it he had entered into a witness protection program for something unrelated to Amityville. The other accomplice named by Butch DeFeo died on January 1st, 2001. The man refused Osuna's request for an interview or a chance to clear up any speculation over his involvement. As for Dawn... The post-mortem examination discovered that she had unburned powder burns on her nightgown, which lent further credence to Butch's claims of his sister's involvement. Mm -hmm. Substantial evidence exists to support the story Butch DeFeo shared with author Rick Osuna and Geraldine DeFeo. So that's basically gunshot residue yeah. on yeah. her dress? Yeah. Mm -hmm. On January 15th, 1975, Butch's then-lawyer, Jacob Siegfried, motioned the court to be permitted the right to examine, inspect, copy, photograph, or make and take photostatic copies of the original notes of the arresting officers together with police reports containing statements of the witnesses. That was long, but that was an official thing. 
Siegfried insisted that items were cr- these items were crucial in his affidavit, saying the defendant was deprived of his right to a preliminary hearing in the district court by the district attorney's actions and presenting the case directly to the grand jury. Man, I hope if I ever get in trouble for something, they fuck up like that. And... <laughs> Just something really stupid and clerical. Like, that. that's how I want to get away with a crime. <laughs> I don't want to commit a crime. I've committed several. Well, you're also testifying now. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not to anything specific. Ah. Regardless, the court did not believe these items necessary for Blitch's defense. And on March 11th, 1975, presiding Judge John Jones... Judge John Jones, got it. Desi- denied the request. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, uh, Josh was talking about doing acid earlier. Yeah, that's, that's true. just yeah. a crime. Um, Are they going to do shit about it? Nope. No. <laughs> with, Statute of limitations is out on that one fully, anyway. With little choice remaining, Siegfried later filed a notice of defense or men- of mental disease or defect for his client. Since the defense had been denied an equal opportunity to have the same reports, records, and photos that the prosecution had in its possession, there was the on- only one choice left, an insanity plea. But Butch did not want his sanity questioned, and he threatened to strangle Siegfried, which is a great way to not have yeah, your sanity no, questioned. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, that's the best. Uh, it's, it, insanity never works during a trial anyway. It's such a low chance. Well, yeah. They, one of the things that this is where the whole ghost thing started is that he said that while he was down in the basement, he saw a figure uh, in a black hooded coat come to him wearing black gloves and hand him the rifle and that he was hearing voices that was telling him to do it. So, nah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of where the whole ghost story started. Nah. <clears throat> so um, with little recourse. Acid trip. <laughs> So with little recourse and after no, spending more... No, not even that. Like You don't think acid mixed with maybe quaaludes and maybe marijuana and maybe alcohol could, maybe could make I, your sister look like the Grim Reaper? <sighs> I have heard crazier stories than that. I've heard crazy stories like that from people who were doing like DMT, but that's like out-of-body experience level stuff. It's There's no... Even... I mean, unless you're talking about putting, like, a full tin strip of actual, like, CIA-grade LSD in your mouth, I don't think you're seeing anything that vivid. And I know that it's different for everyone, but if we're going with the theory that one of the drugs that they were doing is acid, maybe that maybe. tends to override most other highs, at least in my personal experience, because I experimented a lot when I was like high school, early twenties, but I don't, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the gas leak. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's true. So after threatening, to str- after threatening to strangle his attorney, it was little recourse. And after spending more than $40,000 on attorneys, Michael Brigante senior told his grandson, sweetheart, your dime has played out. This meant that Butch would have to use a court appointed attorney. On July 7th, 1975, William Weber from the firm of Frederick Mars and Bernard Burton in Pachagu, New York. Pachog, New York? I don't care. Man, some fucking New Yorker's yeah. going to message uh, the Facebook page and I'm going to have to reply to him. <laughs> was assigned by the clerk of the Suffolk <laughs> no, County y'all. Court to represent Butch in his trial. Weber was hoping Judge Signorelli would grant the defense motion to obtain copies of all the police reports and crime scene photos the prosecution had. 
On August 1st, 1971, Judge Signorelli issued a ruling on Weber's supplemental omnibus motion, granting the defense copies of granting the defense copies of the reports and photographs in the prosecution's possession. Since Weber did not receive the documents until the end of August, he had little time to use them in preparation for the trial set to begin on September 15th. On September 15th, 1975, the defense was also struck a devastating blow when Judge Signorelli announced in a hearing, I deem it advisable to disqualify myself from the case, and I'm going to ask the administrative judge to reassign the case. In his book, entitled High Hopes, Sullivan openly admitted that he had an active role behind Judge Signorelli dismissing himself. Uh, Sullivan was the prosecutor. Uh Sullivan added, I had not finished maneuvering. I was about to engage in a time-honored strategy that defense lawyers and prosecutors have honed into an art form. Some call it judge shopping. Oh, God. Sullivan helped pressure Judge Signorelli from the case in order to get the judge he wanted. His wish came true because the DeFeo case was rescheduled to begin on Monday, September 22nd, 1975, with Justice Thomas Stark, Sullivan's choice, presiding over it. But why did he even need to do that? I was going to say... Because the judge was willing to help the defense, probably. I mean... He might have been willing to do an insanity charge. Yeah. Maybe, but, but I doubt it. I I don't think so. Insanity almost never works. One of the only times that it's ever worked for like a, a multiple murderer was Ed Gein. Um, I don't I don't know. I just don't get why he needed to switch judges like that. I don't think insanity charge was that likely, unless it was just that uh the judge was going to make sure that the defense had access to the same stuff the prosecution did which is just an interest of a fair trial so that it can't get overturned later yeah no who knows yeah shady lawyer shit (laughs) for his book talking with serial killers british criminologist christopher barry d interviewed justice stark confronting justice stark on sullivan handpicking him justice stark with a wave of a hand dismissed this and said in hindsight this was quite wrong but things were different back then Fuck off. Well, I'm, at least he admits that, that it was right wrong there, back then. That No, that shit right there is why our law enforcement is so fucked to this right. day. Right, the dismissiveness of it. Exactly. The dismissiveness of it was wrong, but it's different now. It was, it was a product only, of the time. The only thing that's different is who, you're, who you are acquiescing to, and it's worse people. That's yeah. all. Yeah, it's the the only the only good thing there is that he will at least admit that it was wrong. Like it's not friend shit now; it's money shit now. Right, and right. that's worse. To the outset, in an attempt to nail Weber down on his defense during a private post-hearing conference, Just, Justice Stark asked, "At this time, Mister Weber, are you prepared to continue our discussion as to the matter of the defendant's intentions of raising the defense of mental disease or defect?" Weber replied, Your Honor, I am not able to answer you on that point at this time. Still needing a definitive answer, Justice Stark continued pressing Weber on the issue. Whereas Weber Weber replied, Your Honor, at this point, the only thing I could ask the court to consider is my application for an adjournment of the trial. Weber went on to explain to Justice Stark that he needed his need for a 60-day adjournment because he had been retained as an attorney only since July. Weber needed more time to prepare his case. Although Judge Signorelli had granted Weber's omnibus motion on August 1st, Weber had not received any paperwork from the district attorney until August 27th. Oof. 
During the post-hearing conference, Weber explained racist findings, multiple killers, weapons, and accomplices not being prosecuted. With such an overwhelming amount of evidence, Weber felt an adjournment was appropriate. Besides, Weber argued that the presence of an accomplice, who they named at the post-hearing conference to show that this witness was not cooperating, might assist Butch in an emotional strain defense rather than a mental defect one. If an emotional strain defense was issued and successful, then the charge against Butch would be reduced from second-degree murder to first-degree manslaughter. Although William Weber fought valiantly for his client, in the end, Justice Stark denied Weber's request. Uh, We just found out why. Yeah. Why? Because he knew he would deny that request. That's Mm -hmm. why he chose that judge. Is because he knew that his opponent was going to his the defense was going to need the time to prepare a case but probably and this is just me guessing cuz I haven't fucking taken the bar <laughs> right but probably because they already had the materials they just didn't have the time they yeah. probably legally did not need to give them extra time even though it would have been morally just yeah so, uh, it was clear that Butch DeFay was not afforded the fullest protections of the American judicial system. Is Butch DeFay a black person no. or a white person no. or white a person. different type of person? No, they're just white. Okay. Yeah. So, alternative methods were needed, including persuading Butch to plead insanity by pretending, among other things, to hear voices in the Amityville house. That's where they always go with the fake insanity thing is hearing voices. Yeah. It's overplayed. Pick a new pick a new fake insanity. Yeah, thing. at least David Berkowitz chose dogs. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was an early beginning. Throw, it was... a, throw a fucking fresh spin on it. I haven't mm. heard anything new since Son of Sam. Fuck <laughs> off. So it was the early beginnings of the Amityville Haunted House hoax. However, Butch was no actor and his testimony actually backfired. My vibrator told me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> His testimony actually backfired when he admitted not hearing any of these so-called voices the night of the murders. In an affidavit, Barry Springer stated that William Weber had told him that people approached him to write a book even before Butch's trial had started. Geraldine DeFeo, who was a relative of the DeFeo family, explained because Butch felt insulted that his insanity could be questioned, Weber had to convince him by alternative means. He promised Butch that he'd get out in two to three years and that he'd be rich from the book's success. In a notarized affidavit, Geraldine DeFeo admitted to being party to the initial planning of a book before backing out due to ethical concerns. Ronald DeFeo was found guilty of all six murders and was sentenced to 25 years to life. He died in March 2001, and his cause of death remains unreported. Really? That's Mm -hmm. interesting. I guess it's not that interesting that they didn't (laughs) report exactly what his cause of death was. So that takes us, that's the foundation. Of where we're going now. Oh, we had to get boy. through all that. So oh, we, we did the real shit the true up top. Case. He's letting yeah. me run yeah. wild, Josh. He's going <laughs> to let me go. I wanted to make sure you were good and prepared for this. Oh, yeah, baby. You know, the vibrator was just the beginning. Here we go. <laughs> During the summer of 1975, George and Kathleen Lutz went to visit 112 Ocean Avenue, the beautiful three-story Dutch colonial set. I just want everyone to keep in mind that since... The story that I think we're about to tell. Nothing supernatural. Nothing. Yeah. Zero percent. Nope. The house still stands to this day. People live in it? Yes. Actually, I think it just went up for sale. 
but people have been living in yeah. it off and on. Probably Man, like how a, much? You know, like a house. It's six hundred thousand dollars. That's really not yeah. bad. Yeah, six hundred thousand dollars is what you'd I saw think, the listing was. You'd think the fame around it would make it That's worth like six million dollars. No, the fame around it is what made it so annoying and why people have constantly moved in and out. Because everybody drives to Lucky Lose. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah, the movie came out, and now that house is point, a tourist destination. Yeah. Yeah. To the point so that my the, advice is if you have $600,000, Josh, you're on the right track. But in this day and age, if you've got $600,000, you buy that shit, you make it a not, in a, not a museum, but like a tourist trap. Yeah, yeah. That, well, I was thinking like a tourist trap, museum. like a tourist trap, kind of like the Stanley like, Hotel is. No. Sure, like a walkthrough thing. Yes, and then you got a gift shop in the living room downstairs or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Like you could make bank. You can make bank. You put a fence around that bitch and you charge people to take pictures. But it actually got so bad that one of the owners actually took the half moon windows out and just put regular square windows in. That sucks. Yeah. So I. You know, fully, I don't mind that. Because so, you can replace those again. So in the 2005 interview, George Lutz said, we looked at about 50 homes over the months and we decided to combine the house when we decided to combine the households. When she, the realtor, showed it to us and said, I don't know if I should tell you now or after you've seen the house, but this was the house that the DeFeo murders took place in. We kind of looked at each other like we weren't sure what she was talking about. And then she reminded us about Ronald DeFeo having killed his whole family. It had been in the newspapers about a year before. After taking time to discuss the matter over with their children, George and Kathy decided to purchase 112 Ocean Avenue, feeling that they could live with its tragic past. The Lutz family was set to move in on December 18th, 1975. Now, this house had been for sale for over a year. Yeah. And because of the history, nobody wanted to buy it. Now, so they the, actually. The murders, I understand people not wanting to buy, especially yeah, the when they're that out recent. You get from them, it's less and less exactly. of a problem. So, yeah. in the modern but day, I can't believe that it would only sell for $600,000. I, I fully can because of the fact that, like, these movies and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. Imagine we are. Imagine our esteemed teenagers, the 15-year-old stoners. Yeah. <laughs> imagine them having just seen Amityville every year. Yeah. Every year that horror, every fucking Halloween, you get stupid stoner teenagers coming to your house yeah. that you're just trying to live in. And See, they're again, asking about why you ghosts turn it and into shit. a tourist trap. Like exactly. it's that easy. But exactly. You got to think that Amityville is like a almost I don't want to say gated community, but it's like an ungated gated community basically. So do you do you really think that the people who live around that house would allow you to turn it into a tourist trap? All you had to say was ungated. What do you mean? People will if people can get there, people will get there. Yeah, true. And I don't Absolutely. really give no, a saying, fuck what the think, neighbors no. think. Because, <laughs> because listen, if there's no HOA, I'm sure a town like there's probably would have a fucking even if they have an HOA, like you can sometimes get away with shit like that if you make it a historical landmark or some shit. Maybe. Right. But um Which I mean at this point. It's probably eligible for a historical That's landmark. That's what I'm saying. It was like, built sure. in the 20s. Yeah. And this should happen in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. So, That's historical. Yeah. So they moved in on December 18th, 1975. Now, they actually got the house for 80000 in the 70s. I don't know what the yeah, price is. I don't know what that means. Yeah. But cheaper than what it should have gone for. Um, due to the property's grim rep- reputation, a friend of George's suggested the house should be blessed by a Catholic priest. 
I just... I was a Methodist, so this new this was new and foreign to me at the time, recalls George. <laughs> That's Fa- such a Methodist response. <laughs> yeah. I want everyone here to now know I went I went to a Catholic private school from pre K to sixth grade. So yeah, we did mass and communion and all that shit. I was basically raised Catholic until we moved to Yulee, mm-hmm. where I started going to a Methodist church, my mother's like childhood church. And there were some similarities and some differences. That's one of the differences. Is like Methodists are not into exorcisms. And like all the the extra spiritual parts. We are a very business minded church. I'll put it that way. It's the same. Like our leader of our church being the like the Methodist Pope or whatever. Mm. It's not that, but like. There's like a council or whatever. It's, it's the, literally like a boardroom. Right. It, it's more like um, Episcopalian yeah, Christianity. Yeah, very yeah, close. Where it's, it, yeah, they're they're real close. Baptists know what's up. No, so, they don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Methodists don't either. Let's not get that twisted. Father Ray showed up shortly after we were in the process of moving in. I waved, he waved, and he went on the... He went on in the house. And that was great. The it. way you read that, I just I waved. He waved. He did some <laughs> magic shit. We moved on. Uh, when he was done, I tried to pay him, but he wouldn't take money. He said, "No, you don't charge for this, and you don't charge friends for this." I thought that that was a very kind thing to say, and then he said, "You know, I felt something really strange in that one upstairs bedroom," and he described the bedroom, and we said that's what we were going to use as a sewing room. We weren't going to use it as a bedroom. He said, that's good, as long as no one sleeps in there. And that's all he said, and he left. Bitch, no, he didn't. <laughs> Strange occurrences began almost immediately. Cold spots were discovered in random spots throughout the house. Eerie vibes pervaded the atmosphere. Eerie vibes? Yes. Oh, no. Jolting sounds would There's wake... There's a stinger. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one uh, but for real though it's an old ass house they're all they all have those vibes it's yeah. the same vibe yeah it's it's something about the murder way the walls or are built yeah it's just the house settling it's the layout too of those old houses that yeah it's just not you modern. get like predisposed exactly yeah. to think that these old houses have something evil about them jolting sounds would wake the family during the night the escalating chain of events took their toll on the Lutzes, resulting in drastic personality changes. George, who began to seclude himself from the family... Red here, anxiety, irritability. <laughs> obsessed over the fireplace that never seemed to warm him enough. That's because old fireplaces suck ass. <laughs> Kathy also began to undergo a this series... This is two-story house, too, right? Three stories. Three, Three stories, yeah. yeah. No, that's that fireplace is heating... The second story, my dude. But apparently, according to the book, he actually went through like three tanks of uh, oil for the furnace in that time that they were there because he would keep it at 80 degrees and he was never able to get warm. That sounds like a blood issue, like literally like a, what is it, the anemic? Yeah. Uh, Kathy also began to undergo a series of unnerving events. On more than one occasion, she described being touched by an unseen person. And most dramatically, Kathy claims that after waking from a deep sleep, her face was that of an old hag that took hours to dissipate. Gas leak. <laughs> Gotta be a gas leak. Yeah. Right? If he, w- he went through that much uh, oil, oil, yeah, it's probably just leaking. Fumes, baby. <laughs> yeah. Fumes will do a bunch of shit to you. It does not matter. Hey, listen. It don't matter really what kind of fumes. 
any fumes, it's going to fuck with the oxygen levels in your system, mm-hmm. and you're going to start seeing shit. So even the Lutz children began to argue more than usual, resulting in terrible beatings from their parents. The youngest child... Terrible beatings. That's abuse. Yeah. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the youngest child, Missy, described speaking to an angel that was living in her room. This angel, Missy claimed, was named Jody. Jody was able to present itself as a large pig to Missy and change shape and form at will. That was a wild sentence that you just <laughs> yeah, said. It that It got crazier and crazier. <laughs> like, I, I was down with and angel. angel. I'm like, angel right, makes okay. sense. Very because Christian we're already, household. I right. get it. We're, we're, we're on fumes. She's probably hallucinating. Her. Religious household. Jody. Angel. Jody. 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 the name of the angel. A little right. weirder. A little weird. Not a biblical name at all. Nope. But <laughs> a, all, a name but that a kid would make up for sure. an angel that Got she it. sees in her room. Cool. It's my imaginary friend, Angel Jody. Yeah. I get it. It's the 70s. Sure. Cool. Pig. Yeah. Huh. Pig. Large pig. A large pig. pig. That's what? <laughs> huh? Like blue ribbon winning pig is yeah. what I'm picturing the, too. Right. Like, like a babe. Pig. Yeah. <laughs> like a babe, the pig yeah. pig. And then... <laughs> Can shapeshift. It can shapeshift. Yeah. But why? But, but then is, is it a pig? a pig? <laughs> why is it always a pig if it can shapeshift? A holy pig named Jody. <laughs> Jody. Uh, Jody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I knew it was in there. <laughs> George and Kathy claim to have witnessed two red eyes peering in I'm at them. I'm begging you, please stop looking like a pig. <laughs> A pig, huh? They claim to have witnessed two red eyes peering in at them from the upstairs bedroom window. Missy believed... That's not an angel. Missy believed it was Jody wanting to come inside. Oh, boy. Hey, kid. (laughs) How old is this child? Like five or six. Yeah. Okay, even at five and six, you should know red eyes peering at you in the night is (laughs) danger. Not, Not a holy pig. So I, I I I cut a lot of this the the horror part down because we spent so much on the front end and anybody I mean every podcast you can find but there was a story uh George, You know how it is haunting. Yeah, George would wake up at 3:15 every morning and it was the theory he sounds was sounds anemic. The story was the theory was is that 3:15 is when the murders took place. So oh, he was waking up. Right. But every night he would hear banging in the boathouse and would go downstairs to see what was going on. That's wind. Yeah, and one night he was Loose coming board. back was to from the boathouse to the house, and he looked up and he saw Missy staring at him from the window upstairs. That's just five year old shit. And then he saw Jody. Jody, Jody, <laughs> Jody, Jody. So George said, "I just didn't. Why wanna... the fuck do you look like a pig?" <laughs> so George said, "I just didn't want to leave the house. We would invite people over instead of going out to see them." Came, That's just introvert shit. <laughs> there came a point. It really is. There came a point when we would invite people over to see whether we were crazy or not, because when our friends sat in the kitchen, they could hear the people walking around upstairs after the kids had been put to bed. So kids never get out of bed. Kids don't ever ever no. get out of bed. No. We'd all go up and find all the kids fast asleep. Also, if they have a cat, <laughs> they had a dog, but the dog stayed downstairs. Well, that's um. There was no way it was the kids. And when your friends confirm that for you, you almost want to break down and say out loud, I'm not crazy. They hear it too. That is such an emotional moment when someone else confirms for you what you're hearing and it's not, and that it's not just you hearing it. It's not your imagination. 
Didn't these people supposedly move out 28 days after? Yes. All of this, yeah. So, so all, the, so, okay. Yeah. Coming back to 112 Ocean Avenue. This it sounds to me, as a person with, like, anxiety, it sounds like a combination of a, of a major life change and also fumes. <laughs> so, um, Kathy recalls. This is why you call the fucking meter company. Yeah. This is why. Because no one else. Right. I guarantee you the first thing they did, the next people that bought the house, was fucking air it the fuck out. Or have somebody come literally you know, do look like at the pipes. Inspection. Yes. So coming back to 112 Ocean Avenue, the families that I found had resided in that dwelling place appeared to have a calamity within each one, recalls Kathy, which yeah. goes completely against every other story. Yeah. The final night the Lutzes spent uh, in the house were, in George's words, the reason not to stay there anymore. I was lying in bed and everyone was asleep, and Kathy lifts up off the bed and starts to slide away from the bed and away from me. Are you sure that your um, your graphics card wasn't just out of date? <laughs> <laughs> Got to get the new RTX. That Gotta won't happen anymore. Got to get that anymore. new RTX, baby. I feel something get in bed with us. I'm unable to move. I hear the kid's bed continually slamming up and down on the floor and being dragged. You got to get that new graphics card. Yeah. We hear these pigeons on the air conditioner top overhead from the master bathroom. And they're fluttering all night long, and yet there are no pigeons there the next morning. Have you guys downloaded the latest patch? That's <laughs> what I'm saying. It sounds like you're glitching your reality. You've got to call the baby face and get an update. <laughs> um, the lights flickered. We brought the dog up to stay right by the bed. We tied him right to the doorknob, and he's up, going in circles and throwing up all night. The boys Your dog's com- just sick from the fumes. The fumes! <laughs> it's the fumes. The boys come down in the morning absolutely frightened. They were unable to get down to me, and I was unable to get up to them. Fumes! Missy came in and just asked what was all that about, and Kathy had no memory of much of it. It sounds like you've got a sleepwalker who is also high on fumes. That day, we spent Ooh, trying to get a hold... What a gnarly combination. Yeah! Uh, that night we, where to, where to go that day we spent trying to get a hold of father Ray and he said all the right words. Of course. What? I don't know. That's a weird. <laughs> vaguely sexual. He says all the right words <laughs> at no, exactly else. the right <laughs> times. So one of the things I didn't really write about is that the father, the, the priest who came in actually started getting sick. He started like his fingernail beds would start bleeding. Yeah. He would have flu like symptoms. <laughs> But what really I didn't write is that when he was in there, he actually heard a voice say, get out, while he was doing the blessing. I don't know if I believe that. I don't know why I'm so vocal on these few episodes, but I am. Oh, yeah. You've been singing a lot lately. I do it. I must be feeling good. Okay. So the Lutzes fled the house the following (laughs) afternoon. It sucks that I have to wonder about that. (laughs) said you're on ADHD meds now, right? So, uh, yeah, I am actually. I don't know if it's that's probably part helping. of it. It is. It's probably helping. Yeah. I think I might have found a good one. So for those of you who are wondering, I'm on uh, the coolest generic I've ever taken. It's called bupropion. Okay. It sounds cool as hell. It's just Wellbutrin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, I think it's helping. Probably not right like a whole bunch, but I've been sleeping good. Nice. That helps. Yeah. So the Lutzes fled the house the following afternoon on January 14th, 1976. After fleeing the home in January, George and Kathy Lutz, with the assistance of the Channel 5 news assistant, Lori DiDio, 
contacted Ed and Lorraine Warren. Ah, oh, uh, damn it. Yeah. I knew it. A husband and me. wife team of self-proclaimed demonologists. You fuckers. The Warrens first entered 112 Ocean Avenue on February 24th, 1976. They uh, were also in that one about the the um, Darth Maul demon. Yeah, the Conjuring. Yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Darth Maul. That was uh, Insidious. 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 But that the actor who played Ed. But you're thinking of the Conjuring movies. Yeah. I yes. I'm not yeah. saying they were in it, but they used their names. I'm pretty sure in Insidious, right? No, Insidious was completely fictional. Was it? You're yeah, thinking no. of um, the Conjuring. Yeah, movies. I might be. I don't know. Yeah. Because it had the same actor in it. Probably. Yeah. Oh, Movies? did it? Not yeah. Ruben Strong suit. Not no. at all. Patrick Wilson is his name. He played Ed Warren. And yeah, he was also. That in. dude, the, he's like tall and a little bit goofy looking. Yeah, he played Osmodius in yeah. Watchmen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So after, okay, so the Warrens, yeah, they entered in. Lorraine Warren described an overwhelming sense of sadness and depression throughout the entire home. After entering the basement, Ed... Um, just uh, for the actor who may or may not listen to this podcast in the future, um, I goofy looking from me, not an insult. <laughs> I, no, no. Goofy looking just means you're interesting and I remember your face. Weird, Weird Al is a goofy looking yeah. dude. Yeah. I look like Weird Al and I'm happy that I do. <laughs> Honestly, Weird Al is like one of those like cute men. Right. Like he's just going to get old and cuter. <laughs> exactly. Like how yeah. my sister says. Even even when he gets like fully gray, yeah, yeah, he's just yeah. gonna be an adorable. It's a good old man. way to be. It's yeah. a good way to be. It's because his senility will be bitching. He'll be funny. Absolutely. <laughs> I hope. I hope Weird Al is doing great. I hope he's having a wonderful. He is. Time. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe's gonna play yeah. him in a biopic. Oh, sweet. Which is fucking weird. I just I mean, mean like for himself. I hope he's having oh, yeah, a good no, time. I can just see even when he's like in a nursing home, he'd be like, "Uh, I just shit my pants today." Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> it must have been something today. I ate. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I gotta check my medications. So after entering the basement, Ed felt a powerful inhuman presence. Mm. It was as if I was standing underneath a waterfall, Ed recalls in a later interview. Ed, I don't believe <laughs> a word you say. And the pressure was driving me down to the floor. As I commanded in the name of Jesus Christ... What was there to reveal its identity, I understood right at that point that what we were dealing with was no ghost. This was no ordinary haunted house. After conducting their initial investigation, the Warrens put together a group of professional psychics to assist them in their findings. The Channel 5 news team, Marvin Scott, Steve Petropolis, and Laura DiDio covered the Warrens' investigation on the night of March 6, 1976. A friend of the Warren... Warren's Mary Pascarella traveled along to the house during the March 6th investigation. That's a good name, but don't be friends with the Warrens. <laughs> Mary considered herself a time walker. Um, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> There's more D&D content for you. <laughs> that was, what? That was the craziest shit. <laughs> a person who is able to sense and sometimes visualize past events in a particular location. You mean based on police reports? <laughs> A time walker? Yes. The house... That's, that... that's what I want to be in d and I changed my character. Oh, my God. I have to invent it first, but absolutely. <laughs> All right, heard. The house uh, The house at 112 Ocean Avenue was no exception. Oh, we could just reflavor the Wild Mount shit. Never mind. We're good. <laughs> just homebrew it up. Oh, my God. I got exactly what you can be, dude. Heard. For real. Okay. Heard. We'll read it. Sorry. Yeah. 
That's something you guys have to look forward to for sure. I began to say my prayers and I was saying our father recalls Mary Pascarell in a 2002 interview. I looked out the door and as I was saying our father, there was a group of figures saying the our father backwards. What? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) There we go. Mary was not the only one who experienced strange events that night. You are hitting me with so many left hooks today. <laughs> yeah. I just can't keep up. Channel 5 cameraman Steve Petropoulos reportedly suffered a rash. And that's not to mention all these wild-ass names you keep throwing at me. <laughs> I know. Like, One after the other. Oh, my God. So yeah, he reportedly suffered a rash of heart palpitations and shortness of breath while climbing the staircase. What was his name again? Steve Petropoulos. Petropoulos palpitations, huh? Yeah. that's the big bad (laughs) (laughs) the Warrens say they also felt a cold spot on the staircase a detail George Lutz has since says he also experienced do you know what actually happened what is um SCP Pete showed up here and he kind of got disembodied for a little bit is SCP Pete a time walker he's 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 more than that he is actually lost in the streams of time okay um so he's even less connected to this physical plane than a normal time walker. Okay. So he's like a quantum leaper, but he doesn't have to like use different bodies. You get me? Yeah. So he's just there disembodied for about, it's literally 25 days. Uh, and then he, he kind of recorporates and then he's able to move out of that time again. And uh... he doesn't really do anything during that time. He's not Jody. That is just fumes. <laughs> He's just really trying. It's just he's really trying hard to recorporate himself, and the fumes are making it difficult. Okay. So because um, he is also high, I just say, love the so fact- the fumes interfere with, with SCP Pete's ability. Yeah. to I got mm-hmm. it. He got becomes it. a form very similar to fumes, but without the psychedelic effects because it is just oxygen. Oh, okay. So I just I love the fact that George Lutz. You know, the Warrens say they felt a cold spot. A detailed George Lutz. Has since said he also experienced. So, so, oh, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Pete. Yeah, okay. So during the first seance, he was getting close to recorporating. That's uh, why you could feel the cold. During the first seance, Mary Pascarella also became ill and was uh, ushered out of the room. Because, like, imagine if your body was a is a solid, mm-hmm. and you could vaporize and then also freeze back into a solid. That is what Pete is doing. Okay. Um. There seems to be some kind of black shadow that forms ahead, and it moves. Mary claimed, "As it move, and as it moves, I feel personally threatened." Pete didn't mean that. <laughs> he's just—he's really trying hard. He's trying to psych himself out. It's you know? not Pete's fault that people feel threatened by him. That's what I'm saying. Like it's not his fault. <laughs> Another psychic, Alberta Riley, made similar claims during the seance. It's upstairs in the bedroom. What's here makes your heart speed up. My heart's pounding. Whatever is here, in my estimation... That's just Pete's raw sexual <laughs> magnetism. Whatever is here is, in my desti- in my estimation, most definitely of a negative nature. It has nothing to do with anyone who has once walked the earth in human form. It is right from the bowels of the earth, insists Lorraine Warren. The voices were Sassafras Charlie just being a bitch. <laughs> Whatever is here... he could incorporate... Just fine. Sassafras Charlie is used to being high on fumes. He used to be a miner. Yeah. Like, he's cool. SCP Pete, though, he's just used to PCP. And even then, after his overdose, he, like, 
he has like an aversion to it now. Like it makes yeah. him feel sick. You know how sometimes people do when they have a bad trip. Oh, like how I like how I can't smoke cigarettes anymore unless I'm drunk. Yeah, yeah. Like he occasionally mm-hmm. tries to experiment with it, but it doesn't go well for him. Gotcha. Whatever is here is able to move around at will. It doesn't have to stay here, but I think it's a resting place, says Lorraine Warren. The Warrens felt the house could only be saved through a cleansing performed by an Angelican exorcist or a Roman Catholic priest. Uh, Why are we so specific about it is my question. It feels like anybody who can do, this is just a blanket, anybody who can do an exorcism, assuming those are real, which I don't, but like, it feels like the fucking ritual is the same, no matter who you go to, because like, Humans are really good about finding out what works and then just doing that over. Yeah, and over. but you have to be a certain level holy person but, for it to have full effect. But what I mean is like like let's assume this shit is real. Ed and Lorraine Warren are still con artists because they clearly don't know those people. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they're just making shit up. Yeah. So, uh, George and Kathy, let's say they were not willing to take on this responsibility. Like, I mean, like a shaman or a priest or like a fucking witch should be able to do a very similar ritual to each other and, and completely clear out ghosts. But you never hear somebody advise you to go to a pagan. Right. Um, well, that's because most of these possession stories like this take place back in... Yeah, the satanic panic times. Exactly. So everything is the devil, and the devil can only be gotten rid of specifically by the Catholic Church. So, um, yeah, so George and Kathy Lutz said that they were not willing to take on the responsibility. I'm willing to believe that the Catholic Church is the only church that can deal with the devil specifically. Sure. However, if this is a demon, anyone, anyone should be able to get that one done. You know what I'm saying? If you want to claim supremacy, fine. Make up a demon that only your church can deal with. Jimbo but Trump. like, Jimbo Shrump is not a demon. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he is. He's fully a demon. <laughs> anyway, but he doesn't. Just, he doesn't you know, like to tell people that he's a demon. He's like he's trying to live. You, you guys ever seen the anime? The devil is a part timer. No, no. Well, the conceit is that the Christian devil, not the Christian devil, like the anime devil, uh. Decides that he's done being the devil, and he goes and gets a job at effectively McDonald's. That's Jimbo Shrump. Okay. So George and Kathy Lutz, if I read this sentence again, I'm going to punch in the face. George and Kathy Lutz say they were not willing to take on the responsibility. They'd be putting their lives in jeopardy. How can you go and ask someone to do that for a house, George laments. George and Kathy... Real easy if you're a fucking con artist. (laughs) Right. George and Kathy decided that they couldn't risk moving their children back into the home. They returned to the property. They returned the property to Columbia Savings and Loan on August thirtieth, nineteen seventy six. Over the years, their story has been. I know I'm interrupting a lot today. I'm sorry. I'm still trying to get used to this new medication and having good sleep, and I'm just I'm firing off. But I think that that is the first decision I agree with. <laughs> is them being like, we don't feel safe with our kids in there. That's like, fine, regardless of the reason. That yeah. is a good response. Yes, congratulations, you're the good guys now. You've done a good thing, a single good thing. So, over the years, their story's been told and retold, distorted and recast so many times and for so many reasons that only the facts above can actually be proven. But a few of the most common misconceptions should be addressed. Oh boy, Jay Anson, the author of the Amityville Horror, 
the book that everything was based on, mm -hmm. didn't get it 100% right. Oh, no way. <laughs> like any storyteller, Jay Anson embellished some scenes, omitted others, yeah. and simply made some mistakes in his version of the story, even though it was based on the Lutz's own tapes. These tapes have never been released. There's some doubt if they still exist at all. That's just human, I feel like. Yeah, I was as, as a storyteller, you get some things wrong, and you embellish a little bit for the sake of creating a more entertaining story for your listeners. Because when you're writing, oh, yeah. the main thing that you're writing with in mind, at least for me, like when I do the few scripts that I have for this and everything, I am thinking primarily of the people who will be taking in that content and I want you it to be entertaining keep your reader for them. Interested. Exactly. Right. So you embellish a little bit. Yeah. I, Another thing to keep in mind is that this book came out in 76. Yeah. Which was just three years after the exorcist made such a huge right. explosion. Fuck off. So no, 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 no. I'm saying that. No, the, I know. The but idea I, of demon possession was like so, so in everybody's yeah. minds mm -hmm. at the time that he was like, oh, I can definitely piggyback off this a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's what I mean. And also when Ed and Lorraine Warren got involved, he was like, oh boy. Yeah. Money maker right, right. now. Inaccuracies on inconsistencies in dates, a precise sequence of events, even the weather itself can be chalked up to poor recollection, a lack of fact-checking, and dramatic license. It's true. Well, no, because there was like even a time where he was talking about they found footprints in the snow, and the weather showed that it didn't snow that day. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But like that type of shit is like, you can fully just chalk that up to like the bad memory. Right. Right. Somebody said a date wrong. Yeah. So... Uh, a final complete version of what happened to the Lutz family after they fled Amityville was published in 2015. Wow. Yeah. John G. Jones, or John G. Jones's The Amityville Horror 2 and subsequent volumes that touched on the lives of the Despacito Lutzes <laughs> have uh, touched the lives of the Lutzes have been out of print for years. A fully revised, updated, and enriched version of the rest of the story was published as the Amityville Horror, the return in 2016. It is derived from Jones's own lifetime of experience and contact with the Lutz family. And now that George and Kathy Lutz have both passed away, it will serve as the final and definitive word on what happened next and how it ended. Another um, fact or something to look into the Lutzes did not dream the whole thing up with an attorney back in 1976 that was another theory, was that they sat down with uh, DeFeo's oh. lawyer oh. to try to help him help Ronald DeFeo by saying, oh, yeah, that happened to us or something with that house. Oh. So nah, I don't believe that. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy that either. In Not fact, second. there was an attorney. Because why would they do that? Nobody mentions them during the DeFeo shit. Like, but no, if they didn't was, know him. Right, but it was, I understand what you're saying. Why would they help him? But yeah. Um, yeah, why would they help? Yeah, yeah, that's my point. Is like they just bought a house. Why the fuck would they try to help the previous owner not go to jail? Right. Yeah. Well, so I don't understand that he's the reason it. they got a deal on it. So yeah. right. Maybe. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't believe it though. I don't either. Okay, so in fact, there was an attorney deeply involved in the DeFeo case, and later in lawsuits brought by the Lutzes and by the attorney himself, where he claimed that he, George, and Kathy concocted the story though he offered no contemporaneous notes or agreements to prove his allegations. The Lutzes denied this repeatedly and consistently, though the attorney continued to make his unsupported claims for quite some time. Mm. 
Next fact to uh, consider. George and Kathy Lutz stood by their story for their entire lives. This much is true. George and Kathy Lutz never changed their story. Until their deaths, they maintained that what was in the book was mostly true, allowing for the errors and embellishments mentioned above. In June of 1979, George and Kathy Lutz took a lie detector test concerning the events of the house, and they passed. This is why I'm telling you, fumes. <laughs> because that shit, if, it's like, if you are not used to having hallucinations, that shit sticks with you. Yeah. And all you got to do to pass a lie detector test is believe that you're telling the truth. Exactly. Right. So... You don't even have to do that. You or just learn be how to very good at good. controlling yeah. your breathing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Your breathing and your heart rate. So George and Kathy took a... I, I read that. Uh, even 25 years after their time in Amityville, in a documentary on the History Channel, George said, I believe this has stayed alive for 25 years because it's a true story. It doesn't mean that everything that has ever been said about it is true. It's certainly not a hoax. It real. It's real easy to call something a hoax. I wish it was, but it's not. The next fact. No, a hoax implies that you were knowingly lying. To yeah, people, exactly. Which is what I the lawyer yeah. was saying. Yeah, I don't think that they're knowingly lying. No, I not at all. I think that they fully believe what happened. But mm-hmm. I'm just saying, in my personal view of, uh, you know, the world, yeah. that that shit is like, it is explainable by maybe not exactly fumes, but like something akin to it. Yeah. So the, this is a central difficulty with proving or debunking the Lutz's story. Virtually all of the events that the Lutz's describe are private matters, matters of perception and nightmare. They cannot be proven or disproven objectively. They can only be believed or disbelieved. Like I know for a fact that if you're on, if you're on taking medications or yeah. even eating the wrong thing, you can have like weird, vivid ass dreams or eating shit. the wrong thing with medication. Right. Like not a, eating the right thing with medication. A whole lot of reasons to, to that. A whole lot of ways that it could be like night terrors or something. Yes. Like it's, there are so many, that's why I say like, there are so many explanations that, that cover all of this with a simpler, and more known explanation. Especially night terrors. I feel like night terrors is a really good explanation for it because from what I've heard, they can be horrifically vivid. Yeah. Right. And so, like, I'm just saying that that's why you have to exhaust every possibility first. Because if, if everything I'm saying is goddamn plausible in the least, like, that deserves to be taken seriously before you jump to supernatural events. Right. So it's pure speculation, but it's probably worth noting that the whole field of true horror stories that is such a lucrative industry today simply didn't exist in 1976. The Exorcist, like I said, a novel and film that was published as fiction, not fact, had only appeared a couple of years before. I think Ed and Lorraine Warren paved the, uh, a, the shitty road that we now walk and try to clean <laughs> 100%. up. One hundred percent. Like Poltergeist and the subsequent array of modern day hauntings that would become a profitable subcategory of the horror genre were years in the future. In fact, the Amityville horror's unexpected success was key to creating the subgenre. It would have been a feat of near paranormal pre- prescience to think that a bestseller and blockbuster movie could be based on this kind of suspect. Suspect matter at the time the Lutzes made the recordings, especially from a couple with no real experience in media, media relations, publishing, or film production. It's certainly not impossible, but it's highly unlikely. Also, uh, the Lutzes did not get rich from the books and movies. 
Yes, they received a portion of the royalties or licensing fees for some of the books in a few movies, but it was never a great deal of money and it faded quickly. After a life of comfort and stability in New York, the Lutzes, as a family and as individuals, struggled financially for the rest of their lives. Amityville didn't make them rich, not even in the beginning. Jesus, man. At least it should have done that. Yeah. Like, come on. The house is not built on an Indian burial ground. At least the Lutzes never claimed it was. Many of the unauthorized books and films. Wow. Well, the whole whole country's built on that. The whole country is built on that. But yeah, I Uh, get it. Many of the unauthorized books and films speculated about power spots, burial grounds, 17th century warlocks. Ley lines. Yeah. And other even more unprovable histories as for the property. None of them were put forth by the Lutzes, and none of them have a strong basis in provable historical fact. Uh, just ask the Amityville Historical Society. The Amityville? Uh, like, for the town? The town. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. The family that purchased one... You know, the, the, the group of... Oh, I'll tell you after. <laughs> the family that purchased 112 Ocean Avenue from the Lutzes claimed that claimed they experienced no supernatural events of any kind, and that is consistent with the Lutz's story. This house remained empty for months after the Lutz's left, but when the Cromarty family bought it in 1977 for thousands less than the Lutz's purchase price, they reported no damaged fixtures, no strange smells or apparitions. However, from the beginning, the Lutz's claimed that the force they encountered in their home followed them when they left and continued to plague them wherever they fled years after. And they first made they first made these statements before the house was sold. So two interpretations are equally possible. One, there was never any evil force in the house in Amityville, or it left with the Lutzes. Option A, please. <laughs> yeah. Either right. way, the house itself would be safe and quiet after January of 1977. By the way, the house has been renovated and ad- the address has been changed to discourage the constant stream of gawkers. The whole facade has been altered. The evil windows have long since been replaced. Which I hate. Yeah. Yeah. I. The windows were so distinctive. Every movie. Yeah, but again, imagine every gawking face that you have to see outside your window while you're trying to sit on the porch. And, Just yeah, start read a shooting at them with a pellet gun. Like This is America. Shoot at them with a real gun. Yeah. Well, it's probably fine if you're white. <laughs> Every movie or television program that shows the house has used alternative sites or built facades to yeah. resemble the original house. And the people of Amityville do not welcome ghost hunters or fans of the paranormal. In the end, there are only fact, only the facts. So if you have $600,000 or whatever the listing a- is, buy the house, move it. <laughs> oh, my God. And then open the thing. There you go. Just no, outside I, of Amityville. I was going to say, y'all may not welcome them, but they're just going to like that more. Yeah. That's like, true. Like, oh, man, the people of this town really don't want us here. That must really be haunted. <laughs> so in the end, there are only the facts. One day in December of 1975, an apparently happy, apparently stable young family moved into their dream ho- house in a great little town on Long Island. And less than a month later, they literally ran screaming from that house never to return. They abandoned their comfortable lives and fled to the far side of the country, three young children in tow, with no money, no employment prospects, and no plan. And that takes us out of the story. I really wish that I had kind of gone back and redone the script before or after last week, because this script's been written for a while, and uh, mentioned that the last night there was a green slime supposedly oozing out of the walls as they were leaving. 
So that would have tied back into the wall come from last week. Oh, nice. shame. But yeah, shame. I didn't write it. So wall come. There you go. All right. So we're going to wrap this up. I want to thank everybody for coming along on yeah, this, this as long, always. tangential episode. Uh, um, they were fun tangents, yeah. though. And uh, we will see you next week. Uh, well, you won't see you, but you'll hear us. You'll hear week. us next week, yeah. for sure. So on behalf of Ruben. It's me. And Josh. That's me. I'm Don, and this has been Two Towns Over, and we will see you next time. Hey, check it out. You can follow us oh, damn on it. some yes. stuff. Damn you. Yes. Josh. Uh, Josh. Yeah. No, that's that's my job. That's my job. As always, you can find us on Facebook. That's our main social. Uh, if you send us a message there, either Don or I will reply. We will talk to you. We'll do that. Facebook.com slash Two Towns Over and Urban Legends Just Two Podcast. Towns Over and Urban Legends Podcast. You can get updates about... Uh, what episodes are coming out that week yep. but more importantly um we also finally have a patreon set up as you probably heard about the last couple of weeks if you've been listening we've only got a three tiers set up right now you can get some cool stuff like tier become, two or the two dollar tier is called citizens yeah is no that's tourists tourists that's right we changed it to tourists sorry You'd sign up for the tourist tier. You can get, uh, you'll be eligible to hear your name shouted out yeah. on the show. We did shout outs last week for everyone who subscribed so far. Yeah. And you'll um, get uh, access to the private Discord server. Yep. The... All, all tiers get access to the private Discord server if you guys yeah. want to make a little community amongst yourselves there. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also got $5 tier. Citizen. Citizen. Yeah. Yep. You can get um, episodes a week early. Um, is that yes. the only thing for that? Uh, well, a week plus early, the it, plus the two dollars. Well, plus all the two, all, all tiers have all the stuff from below them. Yeah, you guys yours. know how Patreon yeah. works. Yeah, right it's now. it's a it's a typical process. It's yeah. a point. tiered thing. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then for ten dollars, which is our highest one right now, registered voter. You're you're a registered voter. Um, we're gonna get a system out at some point where you guys can vote on upcoming episodes. Right. Um, of course. You're going to get access to the episodes a week early like before, and we are going to start doing bonus episodes here very shortly, um, including Ruben's Rants. record one today, if possible. Actually, Ruben's Rants is not one of the bonus episodes. Ruben's Rants is a completely different thing, and then we have bonus episodes on top of that. We haven't recorded any of them yet, so none of this is real yet. (laughs) We're working on it. We're doing it because you guys have, we've got a couple of subscribers, so we are, we're, yeah, we're, we're working working on on pumping that that content out for you guys. Um, Like literally right after the mics get turned off, after you hear me say this, they're coming back on and we're recording content for you guys on Patreon because we really appreciate you. You're on your way to helping us quit our day jobs and we can work entirely on making better content for you, which we enjoy doing. So we love that. So now on behalf of Ruben. Uh, no, no, no. I don't like it. We got <laughs> I don't like it. I've decided. I've decided. I've been Ruben. I've been Josh. And I've been Don. And this has been Two Towns <laughs> Over. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Bye. See you next week. <laughs>